Hi, I'm Howard Linson, the host of this show, Panic with Friends, and I'm panicked about 2023. This episode with Howard Linson went live on January 12th. Enjoy. How are you? Hey, neuter. Hey there. So things are switcheroo. Things are a little different today. I'm going to be interviewing you, and you have to follow my tone. <laughs> I'm happy to follow you. I used to follow you in college, Howard. Here's the homework. Copy it. Change a couple things so we don't get caught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I never did that. Of course, Howard. I here's a drink. Did. Here's a drink. Drink it. <laughs> that that was not hard to ask me about. Was, so anyways, I'm leading this interview and you know, you need to just sit back. We are going to jump right into this and today we're going to talk about Wall Street. Wall Street was this amazing little financial show that Howard invented uh, and concocted and and gave birth to sometime in the 2000s. So we're going to ask him about that. I think the reason we we decided this is it's like a, a question we just get asked all the time. Yeah. Because I share some of these clips, so it's it's something that people. Uh, it's so long ago, but yet people, they, when they see the clips, they ask me. So we'll walk through this. Hopefully, it helps some founders, because uh, as we enter twenty twenty three, there's there's a big boom happening. I, I know it's a bear market right now, but I feel a big boom. So I want to talk about what it felt like back then too. Right. So go ahead. So what was your inspiration for making the Wall Street Show, and uh, what year did you start doing this? So the year is probably 2005. I had been, I'm trying to think, I'm 57 today, so 17 years ago. So I was 40. So I was kind of old. And I had those 10,000 hours of being in the investment business. I wasn't very good. I was definitely disgruntled. Um, you were probably in my hedge fund back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. You weren't so, happy back then. Yeah, I wasn't happy. Um, not a technology person. So so computers didn't mean that much to me, especially if you were in my business. Everything was kind of dossy and Microsoft-y. But in 2002, I think it was the iPod came out, I became this Apple fanboy. And it was slowly just moving to an Apple world, even though we were in the financial world. And by just being in the Apple store all the time and, and, and playing with iPods and, and just being an Apple fanboy, I became an internet person. And luckily for me, you know, at the end of the internet bear market, it was right around 2005, 2006, and we had this explosion, a real explosion. For me, the first thing that made sense to me, because I didn't use MySpace or Facebook at the beginning, was YouTube. Right. And do you remember YouTube? Oh, yeah. Do you remember kind of like it being interesting to you, though? Or do you remember like... You know, it was just a new thing and uh, it was it was cool. I, yeah. I've never really been a huge user of it ever, but, you know, it's very useful. So back to what was the inspiration. So I had done as a kid in my teens stand-up comedy in Toronto. So I grew mm-hmm. up in Toronto and, you know, the people that grew up around the iPhone era have the iPhone and all the the stuff around that. When I grew up in Toronto in the 70s and early 80s, my formative teen years, uh, Toronto was all about comedy. We had all these great comedians. We had um, 
John Candy, Eugene Levy, um, Mike Myers. We had, well, the whole Second City thing. Chicago knows Second City, but Toronto had a better Second City with these people. Uh, Joe Flaherty, uh, Dave Thomas, and, of course, oh, God, I'm having so many senior moments. Jim <laughs> Carrey. Jim Carrey. So right. I used to go to comedy clubs in Toronto and just... You didn't know it because you can't possibly look that far in the future, but you would watch just comic after comic, you know, play like, doing voices and you just knew it was just in the water at that time. So the late 70s, early 80s, when I was like 15, 16, that was the thing. Sneak into a comedy club and listen to these great comics all over Toronto. And at the same time, Second City on TV was this show that was about, it was way before The Office, but it was a show about all these comedians playing characters, the second city about, about a, a TV station. So they were just spoofing this TV station, not in the same camera way, obviously, cause it was like, I don't know, 40 something years ago, but it was just hysterical. Cause it was just like your version of what a TV station, the Canadian local TV station was run by. And it was all these classic characters and talk <laughs> shows. If you grew up at that era and you had any bit of sense of humor, you were lucky because you just thought comedy was the thing. That was like the internet. Right. And so I did stand up comedy. It was terrible. So, <laughs> so, so, and you know, as a Jewish kid, you, you can't tell your parents you're going to be a stand up comedian in Toronto. So you go to school. Uh, I got my way through school, floundered around, became an entrepreneur. And, you know, when I started my hedge fund 25 years later, it really wasn't like a good decision, but uh, I was very independent and entrepreneurial. And by 2005, I was so beat up by the bear market and just not having really any scale at what I was doing. Well, I do remember that. You were yeah. not, you're not having fun at all and you wanted something else. And I think maybe that was the reason why you started thinking in these terms. Is that about right? Yeah, it was that and... The tools that I was using to do my hedge fund, I couldn't either afford them, so I was stuck using Yahoo Finance and uh, Street.com, which weren't bad. It's just like you weren't in the game. And, you know, I couldn't afford a Bloomberg. Just, right. you know, it was kind of a lone wolf and didn't have real mentorship. And it just wasn't making me happy, right? Like just, you know, trying to measure myself against the market. So like right. you said, like it was just like I was doomed. I was just in my own spiral of, you know, wrong career, uh, wasted skill set, and just unhappy. And so the Apple Store was like my thing. It was just like, oh, you know, the iPod was just... You were in heaven there. I was in heaven because I wasn't a geek. And the way they did the... I don't know. It was just the iPod was the first thing on a music guy. It was the first thing that just made sense to me from a technology standpoint. And I think these were tools that you could relate to and you can figure out how to use it, saying, you know, you weren't that technical. Yeah. And so I don't even know what the browser was that I used in 2005, 2006. Probably Internet Explorer. No, no, it definitely wasn't. It was probably Safari. I don't know what. Really? Yeah, because huh. I was using a Mac, so whatever Mac was offering was at Safari. the time. Yeah. So I'm using Safari. Anyways, Web 2 starts and I discover TechCrunch. I'm trying to think of some of the other big media brands at the time. So I just start reading about Web 2, Web 2, Web 2. And into our, my office comes uh, Brett Darrow, Golf Now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so his father, um, what's his name? His father had come to pitch me some religious pairmid internet scheme. Uh, I don't know why he came into my office <laughs> to be pitched at. I forget his name. Anyways, he comes in to pitch me. I'm like, dude, I don't know much about internet. 
and this feels like not my thing. And he says, I don't know, he sees a golf picture on the wall or something. He goes, you know, my son has a golf company, uh, Golf Now. Oh, really? Or Golf 602, and I say, I'd like to meet your son. And, you know, because at this time, I didn't want to do my regular job. And so, you know, Brett uh, Darrow comes to pitch me Golf 602, and I'm, you know, show it to Tom, and I show it to a bunch of my friends. I said, this is it. This is, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about the internet, but I go, wow. I put this thing is a there. license to print money. And I probably, you know, I, I remember going home to, to see Alan and said, let's sell the house. I'm going to put, you know, half a million bucks into this thing. <laughs> and we, you know, we downsized. We probably put too much money into golf now. But I think it was that baby step to Wall Street. It was like, I didn't have to run the company. It would have been too big a step. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I probably should have asked to be more involved, but I was like, no, I got my hedge fund. This will just be an investment. But what happened for me, position sizing wise, it was too big. Right. Like, you know, too much stress to, you know, sell your house, downsize, put that much money into like your first big startup. That's gutsy. And not be running it, even though we love Brett and his partner, Frank, you know, when I just was not in a position to not be a meddler. And so, right. you know, as Golf Now, which is super successful, we changed the name, blah, blah, blah. As it became more successful, I'm like, guys, why aren't we doing like a video show and like date? Like, why aren't we integrating more than you? You figured out how to do tea times. Why don't we turn this into a media company? And Brett, to his credit, was like, no, you know, we do one thing. Let's just focus. We've got, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in tea times ahead of us. Like, leave us alone. Mm-hmm. So out of spite, my first spite company was like, wow, I'm going to show them. <laughs> hey, I'm going to create a show about golf. It's going to become really popular and they'll, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I, the more work I did, the more I was like, I don't really didn't have a passion for making that type of show. And during this time, YouTube becomes a thing. Right. And it wasn't just YouTube, it was Cracker. It was like a hundred video, but YouTube was the one that everybody locked onto in 2006. And, you know, at the time I had just started blogging, had met Fred Wilson, who had started thestreet.com. And then one night I had just epiphany that I'm going to create, you know, CNBC on YouTube, you know, the second city version of it, like this really slapstick, like all the complaints that I had about CNBC, uh, this is a fantasy, of course, because it was just me in a room, but (laughs) I'm going to make a show that runs 24 seven on YouTube that is inspired by what second city did in the day. And it's just going to be these people that run a financial news network and just are terrible at at their job. So I'm sure you got pitched. Did you invest? I did. Okay. So all my friends got pitched and lucky for me, everybody invested, but I, you know, going down the, the web two rabbit hole at that time, because, you know, opening up TechCrunch was like opening up Twitter. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I know it's hard for people to understand this, but that's how early the web was. So TechCrunch was kind of the place you went to just see who was launching cool stuff, right? Right. And so I was just, that was my drug. I would go there and just be inspired by all these people creating companies. So now it's in my head and I'm writing up this idea and I was reading Fred Wilson's blog at the time. And I remember just, just the way I am even today. Like there was no reason to cold email Fred a pitch. Can you imagine pitching Fred? Well, just like people pitching me just because they get inspired of hearing one thing. Yeah. What are the odds that I'm going to return that email and actually think it's a good idea? So 0% right. chance. I'm just like, I think I have the best idea. 
I honestly don't even know at the time that Fred's into fintech. I was just reading his blog, ah, okay. meaning I was just like, wow, this guy's super smart. Uh, I, I sent him this one pager, you know, well, probably spelling errors if you know, man. It was just oh, like, yeah. I'm yeah. really excited about this idea. What do you think? And he was interested. Right. Yeah. And he'd kind of known me through commenting on his blog. And he, we got on, the, on a call and he said he really likes the idea and he would invest. And he said he would invest, I don't know, 50K. He wasn't going to do it through his fund. It was just like an art kind of project. Can you, you tell us about how he and his wife came out here and met you and Ellen? And he, like yes. his wife thought it was So nuts. these are all random things. Right? In 2005, when I became a fanboy of his from his <laughs> blog and just disgruntled of my own job, I would just hang out on his blog in his comment section um, and say weird things. And it was, just became a cast of characters on his blog, much like Twitter is today he had tens you know hundreds, thousands of people that were reading his blog and then commenting on it but he was probably like the rest of us who knew you uh, got to know you that you we realized there was something there with this guy from toronto that he had weird ideas and he was all over the place but there was a theme he was on to good ideas all the time and the first one was golf now yeah and then wall strip yeah and before i started my hedge fund it was the grip so we had had a successful business. I had turned that into the, the hedge fund, which was a bad decision. And now I'm looking to get out. And I'm not a real estate person. And during this time, the real estate boom's going on, but it didn't interest me. Uh, so Web 2, I'm down the rabbit hole. He, he says he's coming to Phoenix, and I invite him to a Suns game. We hadn't met. And there's no Twitter. So it's just his blog and right. some psycho. that There's no face, no name. You know, there's no we, way for him to know who I am. Like, like, the internet the was really not sign? fully developed. Like Fred Wilson signed? No, he just trusted <laughs> from my comments that I wasn't a, a killer. <laughs> and But his wife, Gotham gal. Right. Um, and, and he tells me the story that she was just, you can't go out with this person. You know, you can't go. This is only 2006. Mm -hmm. like, you can't go out with this person that you just know from the internet. Anyways, right. Fred went to the game. It was friendly. It was awkward, of course. Um, cause it just didn't have that internet thread back then. You really, it was much clunkier, mm -hmm. but anyways, that's Fred. He, he, he kind of knew me and then he said, yeah, I'll do it. And, and not only did he commit 50 K, he sent me a bunch of other people that might like to invest. So he had this network that I didn't know. That's right. not how business got done. I thought I'd have to find 12 other Fred Wilsons. He just gave me a list. He said, I really like this idea. You know, let me, let me take some risk and here's some friends. So. So he was the, he was the ultimate key to this. Yeah, he was the the definite mentor slash what do you call it node? You know, I had put in the work, but it's locked. Later, I found out from him that he had been the first investor in the street dot com and Maltech. So he knew the he was kind of fascinated by the markets. Mm -hmm. So little did I know he had backed Jim Cramer. Again, we didn't know each other that well. He didn't need to tell me the reasons he liked the idea, but he was Jim right. Cramer's first backer. So he actually understood my insanity. Right. And saw that it was different than a Jim Cramer's attack. So for him, it was a no-brainer. Didn't know any of this. So that's why he introduced me to like 12 of his friends. So I'm on my Motorola StarTech uh, at the time or Nokia, whatever the Nokia that I was, you know, we were all using at the time to start beep, 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 start dialing people. And the first one is, you know, I'm shaking. It's Brad Feld. I knew him from his blog. And he goes, yeah, I'm in for 25K. So I go down this list. Uh, Roger Ehrenberg, who I kind of knew, he invests, uh, Andy, uh, oh, now people are going to be pissed, but anyways, a good group of people. Right. And the last person I call is the guy, Mark Pincus, who later went on to 
found Zynga. I dialed Mark. Mark, don't know who he is, picks up the phone. He goes, hey, I said, listen, Mark, you know, I'm doing this thing. It's Wall Strip. It's uh, CNBC on YouTube. And he goes, this is a really dumb idea. <laughs> and, and, oh, by the way, and, and he goes, tell Fred not to give up my phone number anymore. So, and then hangs up on me. <laughs> so Ooh. I call Fred. I go, Fred, this is incredible. Like, we've got, like, almost all the money raised. Thank you for the intros. I, I, I overgive Fred, in my opinion. Not, no, sorry, not in my opinion. It's a tip for other people. It's like, if you don't know what you're doing and someone really offers to help, it's okay to, to give more than what's normal. I just overgave Fred. I was just like, wow, right. thank you. Anyways, that inspired him to help even more. Um, so anyways, we're off and running. Long story short, in the end, Mark Pinkus ended up. It's a whole nother story. Mark Pinkus did end up investing, <laughs> uh, but never agreed with the idea. Right. You know, he just, just trusted uh, Brad. No, he just, he's, I have so many Mark stories, but he just never liked the idea. And even when we, even when we made money and when I told Mark that we, how well we did, he goes, I can't believe this is stupid. <laughs> Which is just how the world still works today. So did Fred just say, come on, put some money into this? I no, mean, no, no, like no. A- That's a whole other story. Mark yeah. ended up wiring after he knew the company, like three or four months later. Uh-huh. And money showed up later once he knew we were successful. I'll come back to the story. But so oh, anyways, wow. we start the company with 590K. It ends up becoming 600K with Mark Pincus's money. Mm-hmm. And off we go with just like a basic idea of what an internet show will be on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there we go. So that was how, long story, the inspiration. So where did you go from there? How did you come about the actual production? Yeah. So back then, like, I think the valuation on Wall Strip at the time was like, uh, three or 400 K pre-money valuation. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It gave up 40 or 50% of the company and, Still running my hedge fund, but now I start writing this idea. You can't go build a 24-hour YouTube channel in one day. So the idea is to do this one three-minute show every day. Oh, wow. That's a spoof. Did you do it every day? It was every day. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, Crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, the, the inspiration for the show, too, is this show called Rockaboom. Um, so you got to have some semblance of ideas. So Rockaboom was one of, like, the innovators of the time. Because at the time on YouTube... 99% of the videos were stolen or uploaded from a TV show or of a cat, like I was someone filming their cat. It wasn't like content, <laughs> right? It was more like no one knew what to do with their camera. Like it was just so new. People were doing absolutely dumb things. There was no production. People were just turning their cameras on things and running it and uploading it to YouTube. But because of my position as someone who hated my job and knew Second City and hated CNBC, it all just made sense to me. I right. said, I just now have a platform to just create a free 24-hour channel. So we start with this three-minute idea. I don't know anything about making a show or producing a show, so I just start searching, find production teams, interview a bunch of production teams, came upon Adam and Jeff, Adam Elon, and I hired them. I said, guys, you know, for we agreed on like six or seven or eight grand a month, which was cheap. Mm-hmm. But they were just struggling producers who wanted to do, you know, make this one of their jobs. And I hired them. Mm-hmm. Um, my instincts were they were very talented and understood my vision of how to create a show. It was all very trusting because I had no experience doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and John Labes, who you met, they yeah. had hired John Labes later on. And I was so excited because I was going to be like uh, a producer. 
Right. Right. I don't know anything about producing, (laughs) but I was just so excited. Oh, I get to interview people and pick the star of the show because I didn't want to be in the show. I was going to be more like Larry David, like the foil. So the idea of the show, Knut, was that I'm no actor. I'll I'll write the skits and and come up with all the ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, But we need professional actors because I'm not an actor. But... I would like be spoofed upon. I'd be because I had, I wasn't famous, so I would just be the foil if they needed a foil, like the someone right. who just, something bad would happen to, or some of the person they were making fun of, the extra, right? right. Um, an executive producer, blah blah blah. So that was just who I was, and we came up with a budget and we could spend maybe three grand a show. This back in two thousand six, but I'm sure that was more than ninety nine percent of people could spend to do this, right? So for its time, it was going to be high quality. And so we interviewed maybe 300 women. Uh, So I thought that would be the exciting part. Ooh, I get to pick the face of the show. And I was inspired by this Rockaboom show, which I mentioned, which which was also a three-minute show about stuff on the internet with a a pretty hostess in a T-shirt, like a new company, like like a startup company that would just give her a T-shirt to wear, and she would just do goofy news tech news. Uh-huh. So that was the show that I was copying. I'm going to do the same thing for my first show, but about the markets. So, so I had a basic framework. Rockaboom was very successful. I, I'm not saying financial, but it was a, it was kind of for its time viral, you know, it was kind of, uh, the three minute tech crunch video show. So I'm like, okay, they have a formula. People seem to like this on the internet. Let's do a three minute show about my world. Mm-hmm. And off we went. So the next thing is we had to find our Rockaboom hostess. So we're interviewing hundreds of women, and we get it down to five or six. And Lindsay Campbell, she just had the, you know what I mean? Her face just was the face for that screen at the time. There were no mobile phones. It's just like, you know, in person, whatever. I'm just saying when I was looking. I agree with you. Right? Like she it, had presence. She had just this Looks, 17 presence, inch screen voice, desktop smarts, presence. Yeah. yeah. Stanford actress didn't really want to be an actress she was more smart she wanted to be on the other side of the camera and right place right time you know from a craigslist ad she became like the key to the show because she was professional actress uh guys loved her she knew nothing about she was anti she's like you know (laughs) california girl she's like surfer girl she could care less about the stock market just thought the whole thing was stupid and every guy, she just had this flirtatious, not in person, but like the screen, the way she commanded the screen yep. at that time, we just picked the right woman. You did. And not only did we pick the right woman and Lindsay, you know, when you get a 10-timer, like an engineer that's just better than every other engineer, Lindsay also then took it upon herself to kind of be executive producer too and teach me and bring in all her friends who were actors right. and just call in favors. Because literally the only thing I knew how to do was raise the money, give them the idea, promise to give them a hundred ideas that they could pick from, right? Because they knew nothing about the market. They mm-hmm. just they would go through my ideas for a script and go, that's funny. Didn't matter about the market or not, that's just funny, right? Like the Adobe, uh, the Adobe Flasher. I know it had in- entertainment value, but did it have actual like stock advice Absolutely value? Absolutely dumbest idea. Like again, like again, it was just so <laughs> much passion and so little thinking. <laughs> So this goes to the point where if you think about Wall Strip and what we created, it's a really bad idea, right? But because of my place in life, 
and the 10,000 hours of like hating CNBC, you know, knowing how, what products I needed and having that second city background and yada, yada, yada. I just was willing to do anything but my regular job. And this was the, the first idea that got traction, at least amongst investors. So it was not less thought, more let's just do it. So off we went, we got Lindsay, and now we have to make our first show. So that's probably still like a month. And all this is crammed into like one or two months, like mm-hmm. the story so far. But that's where we were. And so for the first show, I chose Apple because Apple was the stock. Oh, that's right. Of the time, 2016. Is that where you were outside the headquarters? Yeah. Well, yeah. that was where I was, uh, the store on Fifth Avenue, the main cube one. Yes. So Apple was opening stores. It was like my one stock that I owned. It was just, I over-owned it much like golf now. I, I, it was too big a position for me. So all I did was like know everything I could about Apple. Mm-hmm. And my idea was we were going to, for our first show, again, I have no audience, no nothing. It's just my own funny idea. I thought, I said, I'll just wear, you know, my religious garb, Jewish religious garb. And we'll, we'll, I'll just go pray and leave a note like the Wailing Wall. That's right. On front <laughs> now of I remember. the Apple That's store. awesome. So I had 50 ideas and they all were laughing. They were like, no, this is great. Even though they didn't know anything about stocks, they were like, this is funny. Right. And so, you know, you only have three minutes. You, you know, it takes all day or two days to, to make enough tape and edit. So oh, yeah. you know, I didn't know any of this. I know all about I that. I thought we would just do one clip. We're out. You know, everybody's got cat videos. So it's like, I didn't know how much work it would take. So, mm-hmm. so again, if you don't know, you don't know. Once you know, you're like, I wouldn't do this again. Mm-hmm. Because to get three minutes took six people two days, right? And that's, that's why content is hard. So that's why I love good content because I know what goes into it. Right. Now you it's do. also why I won't do it again. Mm-hmm. Like podcast is easy. We sit down one take. That's why it's popular. But good stuff comes from experience and from sound and editing. So imagine all this having to go on in 2006 equipment, bandwidth, et cetera, you know, slow internet. So we're doing all this pre, pre, pre everything. Facebook was just probably taking off. So we, we get the show in the can, which ends with me, you know, this guard, you know, because people weren't allowed near this store and I had a breakthrough right. and I'm not an actor. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I'm not. I had no, you know, and it's New York. Right. So I've got to like wear my weird religious garb, like my, my talus and my kippah, <laughs> and like walk through the crowd and they're filming all this. And I'm, I'm like, I can't do this. I don't have the nerve. <sighs> but in New York, this is just normal, I guess. So the whole joke is I walk up, put a post-it note like you would in the Wailing Wall where people leave notes. Yep. And it just said, Dear Steve, open more stores. And that's the joke. Right. Right. I don't even know if it is a joke, but we do the show. And this is the key to anything that I didn't know is editing. Oh, yeah. So, so again, I don't know this. Like, I don't know. I just, like, takes two days. I'm, like, worn out. I've had to have written four other shows because you got to keep stuff in process. And now they have to go through that stuff. That's right. what professionals do. Right. And that's, that's where I got lucky with Adam and Jeff and Lindsay. They edited this thing to a point where it was so well cut. You know, they, 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 we had Rockaboom as an example. We had my irreverence and voice. We had this, the object being the company. Every day we'd talk about a company that I liked. And the foil would be a twist. Right. You know, something culturally relevant that would just be a shocker, you know. So, I mean, 
One thing is editing and telling a story. Another thing is when you edit humor. And you know all about this. When you edit humor, timing is everything, Mm -hmm. right? Picture-wise, audio-wise, everything. So I understand how much went into that because I used to do editing myself. I wasn't part of commercials. I know, but I mean, you saw what went into it. Meaning I knew they kept saying, you're great. And I was just like, they're blowing smoke up my ass. Because they're saying I'm great, and they say, go do it again. I go, I didn't want to do it the first time. You know, like, I think the only reason it worked is because I didn't know what I knew. Like, I didn't know it would be that hard. Was this the moment when you realized that this was going to have success? No, or was I mean, the, did that yes. come much later? So I remember the first show, and obviously Fred was helping promote, and, I, you know, the internet was very different. There was no social networks yet. Right. And there wasn't just YouTube. You had to send it to a million of these things. But... It just from the very first show, probably because people who knew Fred were very wealthy or or media people. So it wasn't that a lot of people saw it. And this was the trick. It was the right people were watching. Exactly. So from the very first show, very connected media people who follow Fred. Right. And this is the trick that I didn't know was a trick. And this is the trick people use today. They call it blitz. They wrap it in all kinds of different names. Blitzkrieging, you know. They they repackage this stuff, making them sound like geniuses. Growth hacking. Here was my growth hack. Lucky Fred was my investor. Right. So he no was one your, wants to admit that. He, he was, was your the biggest investor. He was your first investor. He was also one of your biggest supporters of this and helped you get And he to had people. a network yeah. of influence. Exactly. So when he says he's in, other people paid attention. Hello, that's called growth hacking, but that's not something you can reproduce every day, no. which is obviously what social networks and everything that came after it helped. But really, what's a growth hack other than you know somebody who knows the right people? So there's two ways to be successful in content. Masses, like everybody watches it, or the right people watch it. I learned that pretty quick. Uh-huh. We would get four or 5,000 views a show, but we were written up in the New York Times. Exactly. So that's when I knew. And you had novelty. Hey, we had nothing. Yeah, I didn't I mean, know what I was doing. It was new, but you had novelty. It was a there, there wasn't a thousand other shows doing the same thing. Rockaboom would do half a million views. We would do five to 10,000 views. Oh, yeah. So it would drive them nuts, right? Because they invented the formula that I was copying. Right. Were they pissed off? I think they were always. He was a very angry guy. Mm-hmm. Most people that carve the way, don't, first people don't make the money, mm-hmm. right? Like everybody's copying everybody. And I felt it was a compliment. I wasn't hiding it. No. But they knew it. And right. we would get all the, the love. They had all the traffic. We got all the attention from the right people. Okay. So we were the only guys who could create. Everybody copied them for tech shows. But no one was going to create. No one in my industry was going to go. There was CNBC and nothing. Mm-hmm. So no one was making videos, let alone videos that made fun of the system. And so it was just, we were lucky. It was a good idea. But Fred made it happen. So anyways, I started getting calls the very first day from media people saying, this is genius. So of course, it was fun. That didn't mean that we had made it. It just meant that like, whoa. And that just led to, obviously, the first thing was more stress. Like, how do we top? So better be good tomorrow because... <laughs> This is great. What's going to happen tomorrow? Yeah. So anyways, long story short, that is how it got going. And we were very lucky that the first idea, if you go watch it, you know, it's, it's just Lindsay, 100%. Right. But then there's this idiot going to the Wailing Wall. You know, I prayed to the Apple Store and people got the joke, right? Yeah, exactly. And that just created a hook. 
and we had all this great editing and we had the great logo and the great like Adam and Jeff created all these loops. I mean, they were ahead of the, that part, I picked the right people. So again, it's the right people, Lindsay, Adam, Jeff. I was just the, the ringleader, right. but I didn't do the hard, hard work other than writing. So this was probably the first moment that you realized that this was going to be a success or at least had the potential to become a success, right? Yeah. Did you have any haters during this, uh, during the times? Anyone that tried to bring you back down? Yeah, everybody. Because, <laughs> because it wasn't that good. Right. So in the end, everybody became a hater because the content just kept getting better from other people. Like everybody's copying everybody. So they're figuring mm -hmm. out formats. Like we, I didn't know what I was doing. So the haters come from like every angle and mm -hmm. YouTube comments were never good. So, and imagine that times a hundred YouTubes. So it was very hard because it was my first true creative endeavor mm -hmm. and it didn't bug Lindsay. They knew it was good. There, she's an actress. It didn't bug Jeff and Adam because they didn't read the comments. They were just happy to be working. Right. But I, all I did was read the comments, and I was just horrified what but people you know, would say about me and Lindsay. And I, and I would be so depressed every day saying, it isn't that good. So that's what drove me, meaning 90% of the people thought it sucked, but right. the right 10% of people were blown away by it. And that's what was the trick. So, you, you, you know, when people have negative things to say about it, you know, they're watching it. That's part of an audience. It wasn't even that. They wasn't, that's how YouTube was. They didn't have to, they would just troll yeah, any but, video and go suck. Yeah, but they created publicity around it. And not good. I'm, again, I don't know much about scale or media, but as a creator, it was punishing. From what I know, all, it might have brought more people to it, at course, least to check it out. Of course. But those people hate from, they just will continue hating. So again, if they can watch without commenting, it's easy. But once you can read the comments, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what YouTube was like at the beginning. But we had to like, you know, get through that. And I think about the 20th show, New York Times covered us, calling it the oh. Saturday Night Live meets, it was a great free publicity. Nice. And they, on their own, just wrote this great piece. And that was when I knew. That's, and that's when Mark Pincus, I think, wired money. That's what he knew. <laughs> that was the day before. <laughs> yeah. So, so when I picked up the gray lady. I didn't even know it was called the gray lady. I'm not into news or whatever. So, mm -hmm. so Adam and Jeff and Lindsay were like, Oh fucking my God, you're, this is it. You're in the New York times. You didn't pay for it. They just covered you. And it was, just, I was so heavy. It was just this awful <laughs> picture of me in the New York times. I weighed like what? one two twenty. What happened then? I mean, after that article, what happened? How did that affect viewership, et cetera, et cetera? No, it was still never popular. Really? Yeah, so maybe the most, if you go look at like our most popular shows, Jack in the Box or the Apple one, maybe 30,000 views. Jack in the Box was done here in town. I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so maybe 30,000 views 15 years later. Mm -hmm. So nothing. Now, yeah. again, I don't know all the old sites that were YouTube clones that had a lot of views too. I'm just basing it on YouTube. But on YouTube, even after all this time, if I go back and look, 30,000 views. So that would be an epic failure. <laughs> Right, it is an epic failure. And right? still, CBS bought it. Yeah, so then I get a call from Quincy Smith, who I just chatted with. So Quincy was the CEO. So again, this is all started by Fred. Right. And this is, you know, for founders, this is why I'm telling the story. For founders, you know, there's all these buzzwords, but really it comes down to your team, you know, and good product, mm -hmm. right time. If we're talking about this, like framing this back, it's good team. Mm -hmm. Got lucky, had good instincts around who the team was. Cause mm -hmm. It was all it was all Lindsay and her crew, 
and Adam and Jeff knew what they were doing, and they brought in John Labes and and uh, Roll, just some characters that were just so good at like they were so hungry to just be discovered. A lot and of those actors they would have done anything, great, and it, they were getting their salaries paid, right? So, so that was a win. And we were burning maybe 50, 60 K a month. So we didn't have endless capital. We knew there was only like a few months mm-hmm. to do something. And either I had to go raise money. Well, the idea was eventually I got to go raise money or we got to sell ads. But forgetting all that for a sec, what we learned, what I would learned in hindsight, you don't know this while you're doing it, is a team. Then it's about kind of the product, which was good. And the timing, which was, yes, television networks were making fun. YouTube was getting sued. Television, So the timing was fantastic. Because everybody was watching, you know, all the media people are like, is this going to be real? And, and everybody was behind. So we were right place, right time in the sense someone, I didn't know this at the time. Someone was just, instead of copying us, they're just going to buy our team. But you mm-hmm. don't know this is going on. Like, how could you possibly <laughs> know that media companies are saying, just bring in Lindsay, uh, let's just make them employees of CBS. Like, you know, but mm-hmm. I have no idea any of this is going on. We're just making the show and I'm stressed out of my mind and thinking through raising more money and CBS Quincy Smith calls. And before that, my own type of growth hacking was, okay, what's our next big idea? So my next big idea, which was what led to CBS calling was, you know, the most famous person in finance at the time was uh, Jim Cramer. Right. And he's the same personality he did today. He's just younger. You know, he invented a lot of this stuff. Fred had been his investor. And the way Wall Street worked, they hoard. So Jim wasn't going to give anybody love. It's all about Jim. CNBC is all about CNBC. But they were watching us. The CNBC people were watching us. Mm-hmm. We were under their skin. And I said, why don't we spoof Jim Cramer? And everybody had spoofed Jim picking stocks. You know, even to this day, it's like, in you know, making fun of Jim as a stock picker. And I said, why don't we make Jim give advice about other things? Right. So, so <laughs> the, the, the hook that I had for our Jim Cramer show was to have Jim give uh, medical advice. <laughs> so, so Lindsay goes into her, you know, group of friends and picks out a person that is a method actor and knows nothing about fine. looks exactly like Cramer and, you know, <laughs> enough. And then just disappears for two weeks and becomes Jim Cramer, right? Like disappears into his basement, studies everything about Jim Cramer. Right, I remember We write this this script where Jim is just fired from his job, working in Queens, like a a shitty network, (laughs) giving uh, medical advice to people. A call-in show where he's like, should I get the surgery? Shouldn't I get the surgery? And that really got under, you know, in our little world, first of all, Jim's going to watch it. Right. Okay. Secondly, CNBC is going to watch it. Thirdly, everybody who hates Jim Cramer is going to watch it. Uh-huh. But we weren't making fun of him. We were making fun of the style. And yeah. we were saying, like, Jim could do anything if you applied it, right? And so that led Jim to call us through CNBC and at the street.com and say, we want it. And I think his idea was to buy it, shut it down, get rid of Howard Lindzen. Which was fine with me. I'm like, all right. <laughs> all right, how much do you want to pay? Yeah, so they offer, uh, uh, I think, two or three million bucks for the show. I would have sold for a dollar. So I'm like, at Costanza, I'm like, deal. And I call Fred and I go, Fred. <laughs> and Fred says, not enough. Yeah, Fred goes, I didn't know you wanted to sell. Uh, you know, because I knew nothing about the business. He, you know, he was like, I thought this was going to be a 10-year thing. And I'm like three months into it, Kramer's trying to buy it. 
And Frank goes, let me make a couple calls. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, Mike Marquez is a good friend of mine who is head of corp dev at CBS, um, mm-hmm. calls me and says, you know, we want to, we want to sit down with you. And, uh, that, which led to, you know, long story short, CBS acquiring us, you know, a couple weeks later and, uh, the rest is history. But the, and I'm still friends with Mike, very, very good friends with Mike and Quincy. I was just talking he was CEO of CBS interactive at the time. And obviously, I'm very good friends with Fred and Pincus and all all these characters from 2006. And um, we could go into everything else that I've learned, but I feel like we get back to the main points, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, flash forward to the beginning of 2023, which I said I'm panicked about. I feel like we need that kind of passion, you know. So 2006 was this big bang in media and distribution, and social web. And then you had the iPhone, you had Amazon Cloud, and you just had just this mm-hmm. Cambrian explosion in usage of the internet mobile phones. And as we enter 2023, you know, I don't see, we still have all those tools, and they're very popular, but now we also have all this, everybody's a Wall Strip, everybody's a Howard Lindsay, everybody's an influencer. There's Mr. Beast, right, is probably <laughs> the king of this now, right? Like, there's new kings, Joe... Right. Uh, what's his name? Podcast. I'm having this, another Rogan. Rogan. So, so what we did at Wall Strip is like a, a you know a fly on a camel's back. You know, it was just the passion, the team, the timing, the knowledge about what would work. Just spinning the Kramer a little bit. Uh-huh. You know, and the media companies needed to get into that business. Right. You know, as we head into 2023. Oh, and of course getting the right mentors, Fred, Yeah. Um, crossing the threshold, which was like the New York Times moment, you know, really pushing hard every day, you know, not sitting back. Because you didn't have those network effects back then. The mm-hmm. problem with media is you make one show, you got to start all over the next day. Your audience, if it's not good the next day, they may never tune in again. Exactly right. Yeah, so the really bad idea at the highest level. But if we were to take my first, you know, personal successful internet startup, you know, it's like golf, like my own that I started from scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, The things that I learned were the things that I fixed in doing StockTwist. StockTwist is about not making video, which is about scale, more scale, which is about other people contribute. You know what I mean? Like flipping the whole model. And, you know, as we enter 2023, all these things, you know, we've learned and, you know, media, networking, all the things that I learned here about like finding the right people, you know, you know, having that domain experience around an idea right. and that like something was inside of me that was so pissed off for, for and CNBC's not away. Jim Cramer's still on TV. Wall Strip is gone. All the things I wanted to change. Those are the other thing you got to remember. All the things I wanted to change didn't change. The same <laughs> people are in charge. So, so you have to fight through all that. And I, I kind of know in the end that you're not, it's very rare that you create something that lasts. It is very rare. So all I can do is tell these funny stories and kind of help people try and learn from them. And it was a great financial win for everybody involved. because It was. It was. It wasn't like life-changing in the sense that you're not selling for a billion dollars. But the speed of which it happened, you know, six or seven months, and we were the first show on YouTube or in the acquired by a major media network. So those things that people can't take away. No. And that comes from just the timing of it. 
I was inspired. I knew what I knew to knew, and I moved. And I was 40. So if that can inspire other people later in their career, now everybody has this in their pocket and can do it. Well, everybody's got their tools at this point. Everybody's got their tools. So hopefully this story will help clear up some people's uh, thinking about how this all went down. Um, It was a fun, fun ride. It was really hard work. Right. And that's why I haven't done it again is because it's really hard work. And, uh, you know, take away some of these lessons. You can go to YouTube, search Wall Strip and certain tickers and just pull up some. There's some really funny shows. Salesforce, Jack in the Box, Adobe, uh, some of our interviews. If you look at the Fred Wilson interview that we did in 2006, really funny. Um, anyways, there's some really cl- Chipotle's was classic, Nike. Anyways, they kind of hold up, which I'm, I'm pretty proud about. Any other thoughts or are you ready no, to wrap? I thank you to Howard for, for telling that story. And a lot of people have had questions about it. And this hopefully answers most of those questions. Yes. And uh, one day we'll, we'll tell some more stories. I want to go into kind of like uh, with some of the other companies that we invested in that are successful. I want to go back and tell these type of stories. There's a famous show, um, How I Built This. And I think they're, you know, kind of copying on that where there should be a panic with friends where we go back to some of our best founders and do a how I built this. And we will do that one yep. day. All right. Hope you enjoyed this. It's a little different spin on Panic with Friends. It's just me and Knut telling stories. You can uh, find Panic with Friends if you go to Apple, Google, Spotify, search my name, Howard Lindzen, or Panic with Friends, and subscribe. You will get one of these episodes every week. Uh, thanks, Knut. And we will my pleasure. see you, everybody, again next week. Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.